Hey, my name is Angela and welcome to the Dim Sum Diaries. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about being intentional during my defining decade. But as usual, let's start with a quick diary update. So over the past two days, I did two separate calls with two of my best friends and we pretty much just caught up and played some Catan, which was really fun. I also called my dad yesterday to watch the final episode of Kim's Convenience. And even though the ending sort of brought some closure, I am still not happy with the fact that they canceled the show and I really hope that Netflix or some other program picks it up for one more season at least just to give the audience some final closure and to end all of the character stories on a good note. Aside from that, I've been catching up on some of my favorite podcasts lately, like my Cantonese podcasts, and I've also been listening to a lot of the Office Ladies podcasts because I just love learning about the behind-the-scenes life of shooting The Office from two of the cast members. I also started listening to an Audible original podcast today called Field Guide to Eating in Canada, and it just made me really happy as a foodie to hear about all of these different cuisines and all of this amazing food in Canada because I feel like there aren't enough shows or documentaries about Canadian food, which is really not a type of food, but just a mixture of all different cuisines. Anyways, that's what I've been up to for the past couple of days, and now let's jump into today's topic. So if you've been keeping up with my diary updates from the past couple of episodes, you'll know that I have been on this huge book binge lately. And in 2021 so far, I've already read 15 books, which is more books than I've read in the past decade combined, probably. Obviously excluding the books that I've had to read for school. But I've just never really considered myself a reader. My sister is a very avid reader, but for me growing up, I was just never really into reading. And I think a lot of this has to do with how the education system sort of makes a lot of children lose their intrinsic motivation to read. And this was actually the topic of one of my lectures in my motivation course this semester, where Professor Kessner just talked about how the use of rewards and external pressure like surveillance and making reading mandatory really damages children's natural curiosity and natural love of reading and I definitely saw that in my own life but this semester because I've had so much time to pick up new hobbies and develop new skills I've really made reading a big priority in my life and I think this is also because I discovered audiobooks I'm pretty sure I mentioned this in episode 8, but essentially because of my motivation psychology course that I'm taking this semester, I decided to get an Audible subscription because the course has three required readings and I felt like it might be just easier to read them with my ears instead of with my eyes. And honestly, I think that's one of the things that has prevented me from reading in the past is just the fact that, first of all, my eyes get really tired really easily, and second of all, when I have to read with my eyes, I have to give it my full attention and I can't really do anything else at the same time. But with audiobooks, I can cook at the same time, I can do work at the same time. So as somebody who loves to multitask, I've really been appreciating audiobooks lately, and I've also been able to discover so many 
many different places to find audiobooks, especially free ones. There are some audiobooks on YouTube which are free, but I don't think that they're very legit. But recently I discovered that my library back home has thousands and thousands of free audiobooks and they're actually pretty new books. So right now I have like 10 loans and 20 books on hold and this week has been relatively relaxed for me so I've been able to listen to two to three audiobooks per day which is really cool. And by the way, I listen to my audiobooks at like two to three times speed, just like my lectures, so they pass a lot faster than if I were just to listen to them at normal speed. But anyways, out of the 15 books that I've read so far this year, the one that has stood out to me as my favorite is definitely The Defining Decade by Meg Jay. And the main idea of the book is basically just to explain why your 20s matter and how to be more intentional during this decade of your life. So as a 21-year-old, I feel like everything in this book is super applicable to me and very relevant to where I am right now. So I've also been recommending this book to all of my friends pretty much and I gifted it to one of my best friends for her birthday and then my other friend who already borrowed it from the library just read it and we were able to discuss our thoughts about some of the different sections so that's really cool and overall I feel like this is just the perfect book to read in your early 20s not only to prepare you for your 20s but also life afterwards and I also feel like this is just the ultimate self-help book for me because not only are the topics super relevant, but it's also my favorite type of self-help book in that it combines a lot of psychological research and scientific evidence with a lot of real-life stories and examples. And the author of the book is actually a clinical psychologist, so she is definitely very knowledgeable in the science, but she also has a lot of first-hand experience working with 20-somethings, and she includes a lot of stories of her clients and the problems that they faced. So in this episode, I'm going to go over some of the different topics that are covered in the book and some of my takeaways from them and how they apply to my life. So even in the introduction of the book, she pretty much just states all of the truths that she wants 20-somethings to know, and this is what she says. Your 20s matter. 80% of life's most defining moments take place by age 35. Your earning power is determined by your first 10 years of work. More than half of us are married, dating, or living with our future partner by age 30. Your brain and personality change more during your 20s than at any other time before or after. Your social network is about as big as it's ever going to get. Your defining decade coincides with your peak childbearing years. Meanwhile, your 20s are the most uncertain years you will ever know. So just like that, she pretty much just lays out a whole bunch of truths that are backed up by research and science in a whole bunch of different domains. And this is all done to emphasize her main point of not letting your 20s go to waste. And so in the three sections that she divides her book into, she first talks about work, and then she talks about love, and then she ends off with the brain and the body. 
So starting with the first major section of the book, which is about work, one of her main ideas that she pushes is the idea that you should build your unique collection of identity capital, which is essentially the stock of personal assets that add value to who we are and it's what we have to show for ourselves and how we've spent our time. And our unique collection of identity capital is what we bring to the adult marketplace and it's the currency that we use to metaphorically purchase jobs and opportunities. She also emphasizes the idea of balancing this capital with crises, also known as exploration. And what she means by this is essentially that because in our 20s we don't have the same responsibilities of like a family and a mortgage and all of that that comes later on, we should be taking advantage of this opportunity to do a lot of exploration to figure out our likes and dislikes, but we shouldn't use this time of exploration as an excuse to waste our time and to not care about our future careers and not work towards those goals. And she talks a lot about how 20-somethings are often underemployed and they'll take on jobs that are either unpaid internships or working at food and beverage places like Starbucks and McDonald's. And although it's important to recognize that a lot of the time working those jobs are not a choice for a lot of people, she emphasizes the idea that for those people who do have a choice, she recommends choosing the job that brings in the most identity capital even if you're not being paid a huge amount of money. And so I think this point that she makes really spoke to me because my personality can sometimes be very impulsive and pleasure-seeking. And if you know me, you know I love to travel. So this past year, while I was thinking about what I wanted to do after graduating, I was seriously considering just moving to Asia and becoming either like a bartender or an English teacher just to make enough money for me to travel around. But after reading this chapter and hearing the statistic that your earning power is largely determined by your first 10 years of work, it made me reconsider these plans and focus more on being more intentional about my career and choosing jobs that will help me to build my identity capital in order to get me towards my career goals. And that doesn't mean that I'm not still planning to work in Asia and move there, but I'm going to try to be more intentional in finding positions that will act as stepping stones towards the career that I want in the future and help me build the skills, whether those are technical or transferable skills, that will continue to benefit me in the future. Another chapter in this work section of the book talks about the strength of weak ties, and this is the idea that when it comes to finding new jobs or opportunities or even partners, you're more likely to find these through your weak ties rather than your close connections. And in this chapter, she talks about how the urban tribe is overrated. And what she means by the urban tribe is having one really close group of friends, like think of the show Friends and that sort of dynamic. And this kind of spoke to me because I feel like I've always fantasized and sort of been jealous of people who have a really close group of friends like that. 
But for me, my friendships are a little bit more separated and scattered, I would say. So I have really close friends, but none of them are friends with each other. And even though I do have some larger friend groups like HKSN and my friend group from Exchange, I wouldn't say they're like the friends dynamic in that you have this one main group of friends that you pretty much hang out with exclusively. But instead, I just have a whole bunch of different friendships and different friend groups that sort of serve different purposes. For example, in university, I have my HKSN friends, I have my exchange friends, I have my frosh friends, and then I have my high school friends and my childhood friends from back home. And so it was really sort of comforting, I guess, to hear about how the urban tribe is overrated in the sense that when you surround yourself with just one main friend group that shares a lot of similarities to you, this can lead you to stay within your comfort zone all the time and miss out on a lot of opportunities that a larger network would provide you with. And so after reading that, I feel like I just value my friendships a lot more because all of these different friendships and these different friend groups allow me to widen my network of weak ties, which are essentially the people that you might see rarely or occasionally or even just mutual friends. And the science and the research has shown that these are really where most of your opportunities in terms of jobs and partners and anything are going to come from. And the explanation for this in the book is that our strong ties are just too similar to us to provide many new opportunities, but weak ties give us access to something fresh and that can be new jobs or new information or new ideas. And essentially what the point of this entire chapter is that we should try to expand our networks as much as possible in order to benefit from as many opportunities as possible. And I've seen the strength of weak ties play out in my life very recently because I actually was able to get my current internship from a connection like that. So how I got my current internship was that I was just randomly talking to one of my fellow HKSN execs that I wasn't particularly close with. And while we were randomly chatting about a course that we had in common, she mentioned to me that the company that I now work for was hiring and she knew the girl that was formerly working the internship that I'm doing now. So she got me connected with her and then I was able to connect with the manager that was hiring and those connections really set me up for success in the application and interview process because I was able to ask them all of the questions that I had beforehand and show that I was interested in the position and be proactive about that. So this just really demonstrated the strength of weak ties in that most opportunities do not come from our closest friends who are supposedly the most invested in helping, but rather it comes from our network and people you've met in your life that you wouldn't expect to be as helpful 
and the book further goes on to kind of explain why these untapped resources that you have would even be willing to help you and that can be largely attributed to altruism and the fact that people feel good when they help other people out and this is especially true for people in their 20s because a lot of people can identify with this transition stage in your life when you're just trying to get on your feet and start your career somewhere. Another chapter in the work section of the book talks about how a common symptom of youth is the dread of doing something that's been done before and not living a distinct personalized life. And in this chapter, she uses the story of a man named Ian who wants to avoid a boring life. And so as a result, he avoids nine to five jobs or really making any commitments in general. And let me tell you, this story was just so relatable to me. I've had the exact same thoughts so many times in my life, and I feel like I share so much of the same personality to Ian in that we're both very adventurous and we crave a life that is different to other people's that we would consider boring. And the book describes the paralysis that Ian experiences because of the seemingly infinite number of options that he has and it describes his fear of choosing and committing to one option because he's afraid that choosing a certain door means closing all of the other doors and risking the possibility of being stuck in a life that he is unsatisfied with. And I can relate so much with Ian's story, but the advice that Meg J provides in the book is that Positive personality growth and maturity doesn't come from avoiding adulthood, but investing in it. And this means making choices and making commitments, whether that's in work or relationships. And it's important to see that opening one door and choosing one door to go through doesn't mean closing off all the other doors. You can always switch your career later on, but opening that one door and committing to it could lead you to so many more opportunities and so many more doors that you weren't able to see beforehand. And so she ends off the work section of the book by describing how the customized life that we crave comes from making these commitments and starting our careers with common parts that may not be as special or as glamorous as we want them to be. So the next section of the book talks about love and specifically the idea that the most important decision we make in our entire lives is who we marry. And the rationale behind this claim is that when it comes to marriage, almost every single aspect of our life is joined to our partners and this still holds true even after divorce. One of the main ideas of this section is that even though marriage is taking place later and later in society, postponing marriage doesn't automatically make for a better union. The science shows that after 25, one's age at marriage does not predict divorce and that later marriages carry their own challenges. 
One really interesting phenomenon that Meg Jay describes in her book is called the age 30 deadline and it's essentially the panic attack that a lot of people get when they hit age 30 and the immense pressure that they feel to settle down and I love this one analogy that she uses to describe the age 30 deadline in that It's like everybody in their 20s is playing musical chairs and you're just going around and dating different people and living a somewhat carefree life. But as soon as you hit age 30, it feels like the music has stopped and everybody starts to grab a partner and settle down. And for some people who feel this immense pressure at age 30, they might just grab the closest person to them and settle down rather than making a very intentional decision of who to partner up with. And so throughout this section of the book, Meg Jade encourages us to be more intentional with our relationships in our 20s because, quote, the best time to work on your marriage is before you have one. And I love this quote so much because I think it's so true that you really want to be able to set yourself up for success in your marriage and prevent potential problems rather than having to handle the aftermath of those issues that you could have prevented. Another chapter that I found particularly interesting in this section is about the cohabitation effect, which is the finding that couples who move in together before marriage and engagement are less satisfied with their marriages and more likely to divorce than those who do not. And this effect is true even after accounting for individual differences like politics and religion and all of that. And I found this super interesting because I think for a lot of people, they just believe that moving in with your partner before getting married is like a good test and preparation for marriage. But research shows that this is not true and this is because of two main reasons. Firstly, couples who move in together are likely to engage in what the book calls sliding, not deciding. And this is essentially the idea that it is a slippery slope from moving in with each other to getting engaged and then to getting married. More so out of convenience rather than actually making these big decisions together as a couple. And then the other reason that moving in together might not be the best idea is because of lock-in, which is the idea that you are less likely to search for another option or change options once you've made an investment in something. And essentially what this means is that you're less likely to break up with somebody and leave a relationship because you live with them. And so in general, Meg Jay warns that cohabitation could increase your likelihood of making a mistake or spending too much time on one. One last minor lesson that I learned from this love section of the book is that traveling is the best way to practice for marriage and kids. And Meg J talks about how this is a great test for compatibility. So I will definitely be keeping this tip in mind and I will not be marrying anybody who I have not first traveled with. Anyways, this brings us to the third and final section of the book, which is titled The Brain and the Body, and she just kind of gives a lot of different interesting findings from research. 
for example, our frontal lobes, which are responsible for logical forward thinking, are not fully developed until age 25. And so this explains why we are often more emotionally driven and short-term oriented during our adolescence and early adulthood. And I can definitely relate to this because I feel like my personality can be somewhat short-term oriented and pretty impulsive. So it's really interesting to know that this is normal and it's backed by the science. Another interesting scientific finding is that our 20s are a critical period of learning for our brains just like our early childhood is. And so at this time, your brain and your personality are still very malleable and so you can still make a lot of changes to yourself relatively easily and develop new skills as well. And so I'm definitely planning to take advantage of this, especially now given my obsession with self-help and self-improvement books. So knowing this, it is a great time to be putting all of the knowledge that I've gained into practice. Another chapter in this section focuses specifically on social media and she discusses how social media steals your time, it makes you shallower, it damages your relationships, it enhances your social anxiety, and it ultimately draws your attention away from who you are and who you want to be. And I've definitely seen the negative effects of social media in my life and I am actively taking steps to reduce those. And one way I've been doing this is by really taking advantage of the mute button on Instagram to reduce and curate the content that I see every day. And so by muting a bunch of people's stories on Instagram, I'm not only wasting less time scrolling through everything, but I'm also improving my mental health because I found that social media and Instagram specifically make me a lot less satisfied with my own life because of all the comparisons that I make. So I have really been enjoying this change that I've made in my life and I feel like I've gotten so many hours of my life back and my mental health has also benefited a lot from this as well. Something else that I learned from this book is that confidence doesn't come from the inside out, it comes from the outside in. And so to gain confidence, you have to gain these mastery experiences that come from doing an activity multiple times and learning from your mistakes and then being able to point to those mastery experiences and remind yourself of what you've done in the past as evidence to reinforce your confidence for the future. Another important truth that Meg Jay emphasizes in this section of the book is about fertility. And she talks about how even though marriage is being pushed later and consequently having children is being pushed later, it is important to be mindful about the biological truths of fertility and not to be naive about it. And even though the research shows that educated and older parents have more resources, are more stable, and are generally better for kids, it's also important to recognize that having children later also comes with its own challenges. Some of these challenges that she outlines in the book include decreased fertility, increased likelihood of miscarriage, the fact that IVF is incredibly expensive and also very uncertain, 
also the simple truth that you probably have less time with your children and finally the challenge of having to take care of your aging parents at the same time that you're taking care of your children and these challenges and these truths are definitely difficult for me to hear especially because i know that i do want to have kids in my future and so even though i don't enjoy the pressure of having a biological clock it is still important to take into consideration these challenges and to be mindful of how my decisions in my 20s are going to affect my future. And this kind of ties in with the last point of this section of the book, which is about present bias, and that's the idea of prioritizing now over later which can lead to thinking too abstractly of the future. And so in order to counter this, Meg Jay advises us to think concretely and do the math on your life plan by thinking about what you want in your 30s and your 40s and your 50s and beyond and then working backwards from there. And so those are some of the main takeaways that I've gathered from this book. And I think from all of this, I have drawn three main conclusions. The first one is just to be more intentional during my 20s and not let them go to waste. I don't think that this means that I need to plan out my life and follow it super strictly. It's more so just being mindful about the truths that science and research have shown whether that's the fact that my earning power is determined by my first 10 years of work or that the most important decision that we make is who we marry or just being mindful about fertility and all of the challenges that I just discussed. My second conclusion from this book is that I should use this time in my 20s to prepare for the career and the marriage that I want even though attaining your career goals or getting married might not happen during your 20s, it's important to still use this time as a time of preparation and to set yourself up for success long term. Just like one of my favorite quotes from this book says, the best time to work on your marriage is before you have one. And for most people, that time is going to be in your 20s. So instead of wasting your 20s working at deadbeat jobs or being in deadbeat relationships, it's important to remind yourself that all of these decisions that you make in your 20s will affect you in the future, but whether those effects are positive or negative are up to you. My third and final conclusion that I took away from this book as a whole is that everybody should go to therapy. As a psychology minor and just a general advocate for therapy, I love that this book helps to reduce the stigma around therapy by presenting the stories of regular 20-somethings who are just trying to navigate this stage of their life. I think one of the main reasons I love this book so much and why I felt such a strong connection to it is because Meg Jay exposes so many of these common problems that so many 20-somethings go through but pretend like they need to hide. And so it's really cool to be able to learn from these stories and be able to relate to the people and the problems that are normal in your 20s. 
And even though I am a huge advocate for everybody going to therapy, I myself have never been in therapy before and that's mainly just because of the cost. And so I am definitely looking for a therapist and I think it's a really important investment to make in yourself and for your own growth. So those are all of my thoughts and takeaways from The Defining Decade by Meg Jay. I highly recommend this book to anybody in their 20s who is looking for some guidance that is rooted in the science and research. I hope you enjoyed this episode and feel free to follow me on Instagram at the Dim Sum Diaries podcast. I hope you have an amazing week and stay tuned for more episodes. Bye!